Turn tonight in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and we want to read at verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask you to speak to our hearts from your word tonight and Show us again the simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity of salvation, that it is by grace, through faith, plus nothing. Nothing in our hand we can bring. Simply to thy cross we cling. And just speak to our hearts from these words tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we want to continue with our studies here in the book of Galatians. I actually started to say that we want to come back to these studies, but we have not left them. Uh, We have in our last couple of messages been studying uh, Galatians 2.20 in the Old Testament. We've been studying the necessity of being crucified with Christ, the necessity of reckoning ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've done that by looking at Saul's dealings with Amalek. Amalek, the Old Testament picture of the flesh and the people of God. Last week we talked about how not dealing with Amalek, not putting him to death, not utterly destroying every Amalekite caused Saul his crown. and It cost him his physical life. The same thing will happen to us. Not putting the flesh to death, not utterly destroying every aspect of it will cost us our testimony for the Lord. It'll cost us crowns. It'll cost us Rewards one day at the judgment seat of Christ. Tonight we want to move on in this book to chapter 3. And Paul begins this chapter with a word that kind of gets our attention. It's the word foolish. Foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians. And those words, I believe, take us back to the last verse of chapter 2. Remember the controversy. Remember the error that Paul is addressing. He's addressing these false brethren who had come in and were mixing law and grace. These false brethren who taught these Galatians and said, except ye be circumcised. After the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, you've got to keep the law. And so Paul closes 
chapter 2 with these words in verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. That word frustrate, it's word number 114 in the Greek dictionary of your Strong's Concordance. It means to despise. It means to reject. It means to bring to nothing. It means to do away with. And that is what these Galatians were doing when they gave place to these false teachers. They were despising. They were rejecting. They were doing away with the grace of God by following those who taught that their righteousness comes by the law. And Paul's conclusion here in verse 21 is a very powerful conclusion. He says, For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. It's a very important statement. Why did Christ die if salvation is by works? Why did he die if righteousness comes by keeping the law? Why did he endure the cross if salvation is by works? We want to think about that. And I think the best place to do that is to look back at Psalm 22, if you will. Psalm 22. Psalm 22, and let's read at verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Be not far, be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. This is the psalm of the crucifixion. 
It's the psalm that describes as much as words can describe and as much as we can understand the agony of the cross and what it means for the Lord Jesus to have endured it. Be not far from me, verse 11 says, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Those words, for there is none to help, include God the Father. Why would the Lord Jesus put himself in a place where he was completely alone? Why would he put himself in a place where there is none to help? Why would he put himself in a place where he was forsaken by God? And that's what the opening words of this psalm prophesy. They prophesy the very words that the Lord Jesus would speak on the cross of Calvary. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime. But thou hearest not. We thought about those words in the daytime. And a passage that comes to mind when the Lord Jesus cried in the daytime is John chapter 12 and verse 27. Where the Lord Jesus cried to the Father, he said, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. The hour that the Lord Jesus is talking about is there in verse 24 of John chapter 12. The hour when like a corn of wheat, he would fall into the ground and die. This is the hour in the daytime that he is talking about. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but thou hearest not. Why? Well, the rest of John 12, 27 tells us. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. This hour, when like a corn of wheat he would fall into the ground and die, This hour is why he came. This hour is why the Father sent him. And it's why the Father didn't hear him. Because this is why he came into the world. But then verse 2 says, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. In the night season, on the cross, that night that uh, night season was from the sixth hour to the ninth hour where there was darkness over all the earth. And about the ninth hour, the Lord Jesus cried with a loud voice, my God, the very words that we see in the beginning of this psalm, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? And the answer is here in verse 3. But thou art holy, 
That's why the Lord forsook him. Because a holy God cannot look upon sin. And so he forsook the Lord Jesus because there in those three hours of darkness, there in that night season, he was made sin for us. Here's the question. Why would the Lord Jesus suffer the anguish of being cut off from his father if righteousness comes by the law? Why? Why would he, in verse 14, endure being poured out like water? We're talking about the mental anguish of the cross. We're talking about the physical anguish of the cross. Why would he endure being poured out like water? Why would he endure all his bones being out of joint? I don't don't even know how to enter into that kind of pain. If you've ever had a finger out of joint or some... uh, part of your body or shoulder, out of joint. You know the pain that's involved in that. And yet here's the Lord Jesus that said all of his bones were out of joint. Why? Why would he endure that if salvation could come some other way? If righteousness did indeed come by the law? Why did the Lord Jesus endure his heart being like wax and being melted in the midst of his bowels? We don't even know how to enter into that aspect of the cross. How do you explain that? The heart of God, like wax, being melted. Why would he endure that if righteousness come by the law? Why, in verse 15, did the Lord Jesus endure having his strength dried up like a potsherd? A potsherd is an earthen vessel. It's like a a piece of pottery. And the Spirit of God uses this language here. Um, it's it's very, um, it's amazing to me, the language that he uses. Piece of pottery has to have every bit of the moisture driven from it. I mean, there's a lot of water used. You watch people, uh, the, the clay is very wet, and they're putting water there, and they're using it to shape it and to form it. But eventually, that moisture, that water has got to be driven from it. And the way that it is driven from a piece of pottery is that that piece of pottery passes through the fire of the kiln. The Lord Jesus says his strength is dried up like a potsherd, like a piece of pottery. Why would it be like that? Because the Lord Jesus 
pass through the fire of the kiln of the judgment of God so that his tongue clave to his jaws. It's important to think about, and, and this, I believe, is why the Spirit of God uses these words in verse 15. The Lord Jesus spoke those words, I thirst. And if you go through the words that he spoke from the cross, he spoke those words, I thirst, after he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He spoke those words after his strength was dried up like a potsherd, like a piece of pottery that had every bit of the moisture driven from it because the Lord Jesus had been through the fire, through the kiln of the eternal judgment of God against our sin. There's never been a thirst like that. There's never been a thirst like the Lord Jesus is expressing there on the cross. I thirst. Never been a thirst like he endured there. And why would he endure that? Why? If righteousness comes by the law. Why, in verse 16, would the Lord Jesus endure dogs compassing him? And the assembly of the wicked enclosing him. Why would he endure in verse 21 the lion's mouth, the devil, the roaring lion of verse 13, the one who walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The dogs, the assembly of the wicked, these are the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. The spiritual wickedness that Paul writes about. The spiritual wickedness in high places that he writes about in Ephesians chapter 6. And what we are learning here is that all the forces of hell are there at the cross. This was their hour. This was their hour. That's what the Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 22. If you would like to, to keep your place here and turn over to Luke chapter 22, I want to show you a verse. I'd never seen it before. I, I guess I had read it, but the words of it stood out in a way that they never had before at least. If you'd like to turn over there to Luke chapter 22. When the Lord Jesus was arrested in the garden, in verse 52, he said to the chief priest and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves? When I was with you, when I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. 
Now look at these next words. But this is your hour. This is your hour. Those are the visible dogs, if you will, that can pass the Lord. This is the visible assembly that enclosed him. The chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders. But they aren't the only ones. Look at the last words of this verse. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Those are words I'd never noticed before. The power of darkness. This is their hour. That's the invisible dogs, if you will, that compass the Lord. That is the invisible assembly of the wicked that enclosed him. The devil and the powers of darkness, the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, all the forces of hell, visible and invisible, are there at the cross. Why would the Lord Jesus endure that if righteousness come by the law? Let's go back to Psalm 22 and look again at verse 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Why would the Lord Jesus endure the piercing of his hands and his feet and his side? And something that we need to remember is that those are not just physical wounds. They are physical wounds. But they're eternal wounds. They're eternal wounds that he will bear for all eternity. After his resurrection from the dead, in his resurrection body that allowed him to come and stand in the midst of the disciples, even though the doors were shut. You remember the disciples were assembled together and they had the doors shut and they had them locked. Sure, they, if there were windows, they had them closed. And they had the curtains pulled because they were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid that what happened to the Lord Jesus was going to happen to them. And what happened? The Lord Jesus came in, the doors being shut. The doors being shut. That's his resurrection body that allowed him to come and stand in the midst of his disciples. You remember that the Lord Jesus told Thomas in John 20 and verse 27, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. You know, the Lord is telling us something about the difference in the size of his wounds. The wounds in his hands that were made by the nails were the size of a man's finger. 
the wound in his side was the size of a man's hand. Quite a difference. And these are the wounds that the Lord Jesus will bear for all eternity. In the book of Zechariah, we read about the nation of Israel in a future day is going to look on him whom they pierced. And when they do that, what are they going to see? They're going to see wounds. Because they asked the Lord Jesus in, in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 6, what are these wounds in thine hands? When John sees the Lord Jesus in glory in Revelation chapter 5, the verse that we mentioned this morning, he tells us how he beheld and lo in the midst of the throne of the four beasts and in the midst of the elder stood a lamb as it had been slain. What is it that will distinguish? What is it that will identify the Lord Jesus as a lamb as it had been slain? Will it not be the print of the nails in his hands and in his feet and the place in his side, this large place where one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. These are the wounds that the Lord Jesus will have for all eternity. Why? Why would he endure that? Why would he wear those wounds if righteousness come by the law? Let's go back to Galatians Chapter 3, or rather, chapter 2. And let's read Paul's words again. This argument, this powerful, powerful argument. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I'm not going to disregard it. I'm not going to do away with it. For if righteousness come by the law then Christ is dead in vain. But you see, righteousness does not come by the law. And Christ did not die in vain. This is why the first verse of chapter 3 begins with these words, O foolish Galatians. O foolish Galatians. And I want us to look at the first mention of this word in the New Testament. Turn back to Luke chapter 24, if you will. Luke chapter 24. The Lord Jesus has risen from the dead. Luke chapter 24. And on that day, there are two men who are on their way to a village called Emmaus. And as they're going, unbeknownst to them, the Lord joins them. And he asks them about their conversation as they're walking along. And they begin to tell the Lord in, in verse uh, 19, they said unto him, well, they, just, they were telling in verse 18, they asked him, art thou only a stranger? In Jerusalem, hast not known the things which are come to pass 
there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had seen, also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said. But him they saw not. Now look at verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools, O fools. The word fools here is the same word translated foolish in Galatians 3 and verse 1. And for the same reason, and for the same reason, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. But why was it necessary for Christ to have suffered these things? Why is that the message all through the Old Testament? All of the sacrifices pointing to this very moment when Christ would suffer these things. Why was it necessary? Because righteousness does not come by the law. It doesn't come by the law. And it is foolish. It is a fool who is slow of heart to believe. It is foolish. It is a fool who frustrates, who despises, who rejects, who does away with the grace of God and replaces it with the works of the law. Are you a fool this evening? That's the question. Are you a fool? Are you foolish? Are you living a life of foolishness? You are, if you're frustrating the grace of God. You are, if you are replacing the grace of God with the works of the law. If you want Look back again at Galatians 3 and verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Paul, I believe, told the Corinthians, and I believe it was his testimony, it was his manner of life wherever he went. He knew nothing among the the Gentiles. He knew nothing among these people that he was ministering to other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all he knew. And that's all we know. We have no other message. 
We have no other argument. We have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. The good news is that Christ is not dead in vain. The good news is we don't have to keep the law. He justifies us from all things from which we could not be justified by the law of Moses. We don't have to keep the law. Christ is the end of the law. Righteousness is of God by faith. To him that worketh not, to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Tonight, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Don't live your life and rest your eternal soul as somehow that righteousness is going to come by the law. That righteousness is going to come by your works. That's living the life of a fool. Trust the Lord Jesus. Trust him and him alone to be your savior. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you tonight that you are not dead in vain. We thank you that you did not endure the cross and all of the agonies that are associated with it, all the things that you endured. You did not do that in vain. We thank you tonight for the simplicity of the message of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We pray that that is the message that we would ever preach. It's the message that we would ever give to a lost and dying world. The only message that can save them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.